Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG Podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow closer to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless. Hey, it's my last time that I'm going to preach the word to you. And the people said, Amen. (laughs) Man, God is good. Hey, would you turn in your Bible to Revelation 3.20? Revelation 3.20. Our theme for this year is cold. No, kidding. Theme for this year is looking for Jesus. Pastor Dave's word from a couple weeks back was telling us that everybody is looking for Jesus. Everybody is trying to fill the vacancy in their life that only Jesus can fill. Your friends, your neighbors, your family, even your enemies, they may not know it yet, but they're looking for Jesus. We're all looking for Jesus in our life. We're looking for him in our trials. We're looking for him in our prosperity. We're looking for him in our wilderness. We're trying to fill the Jesus-sized void in our hearts. We're all looking for Jesus, but why? I think that what we're looking for is life. We're trying to find life. Every one of us, from the moment that we're born, is dying. I hate to be bleak. That's the truth. We're like a sports car that's, and the moment that you drive it off the lot, it is just continually in a state of depreciation, right? It's never worth the same thing. It's dying. So because we're all dying, we desperately seek life. We desperately want to find life. Life is that feeling of having meaning. Life is, is, is the feeling of knowing that you are loved and knowing that you've loved. Life is the feeling of having purpose. And we're so desperate for that that we, we seek it out. We try and find it. We fi- try and find it in relationships. We try and find it by building family or by building friendships. We try and find it by thrill-seeking or, or trying to go on adventures to just feel life. We're constantly craving it. We crave it so much that sometimes we lose ourselves in imaginary stories of novels and comic books and television and movies where the people in those, in those stories have life and it's the life that we wish that we could live. We're desperately seeking life. But for many of us, we end up looking in all of those wrong places and we never find it. We're all looking for life. When Jesus came, he said that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Jesus is life. So if we're all desperately seeking life, then we're all desperately seeking Jesus. But here's the thing about looking for Jesus. 
It's not like looking for your, your keys or your wallet. I lose my keys in my wallet every single day. I'm notorious for it. My wife hates it. I can't find it. Every morning, there's a panic. I'm ready. I have my bag. I'm ready to go out the door. Where are my keys? Where's my wallet? What? It's like I don't know I'm going to need them in the morning. I don't know what my issue is. I've gotten a lot better, but man, am I still bad at it. I don't know. What I do know is that looking for Jesus isn't like looking for your keys. Because you don't search for Jesus behind the, or underneath the couch cushions or behind the dresser. We say we're all looking for Jesus. We're all looking for life. That's kind of silly. Because we know where Jesus is. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's in the same place that he told us he would be. Revelation 3.20. Here I am. There's your hint. I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time that we have together today. Lord, I thank you for the word that you've given me for, for today's service. Lord, I pray that our ears would be open, Lord God, to hear what you're trying to say. Lord God, I pray that you'd help me to get out of the way and that your word would go forth, that we would receive it, that we would apply it, and we'd leave this place changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 3.20 is the culmination of the seven letters to the churches of Revelation. The book of Revelation is John's revelation that he received where uh, uh, Jesus showed him this. And these are Jesus' words. These aren't John's words. They're Jesus' words to the seven churches of Revelation. And he goes through and he writes a specific passage, a specific letter to each one of these churches. And in the letters, he praises them for some things and he also criticizes them for some things. And the things that he criticizes them for are pretty, pretty big deals. They're criticized for false teaching. Not just false teaching, but, but putting up with false teachers, knowing that the teachers are teaching false things and allowing them to still be there. They're criticized for being sexually immoral. Not just the people in the pews, but the leaders. And once again, it's not just that the leaders are sexually immoral. It's not just the people are sexually immoral. The leaders are now teaching that it's okay to be sexually immoral. They're criticized for being spiritually dead, claiming to be alive, claiming to be doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, but really being spiritually dead. Criticized for idolatry and eating food that's sacrificed to idols. And lastly, in the church to Laodicea, the last letter, they're criticized for being lukewarm. Or just completely being apathetic when it comes to God. Those are some pretty big things to criticize at the church. And they get praised in there too. Except for Laodicea, they don't get any praise. Some pretty, pretty big things, to, pretty big criticisms to, to give. And what amazes me today is it sounds so much like the world we live in today. It sounds much like the church that we see across the world today. There's still false teaching. You can find anyone on the internet that's going to tell you what you want to hear. No matter what, you could, you could seek it out. You could find someone that 
You know, there's church, there, you know there's a church where the only worship music they play is U2, the band U2, like Bono. <laughs> Get this, ready? What about their name? They're called the u 2 I'm not joking. This is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with or without you. Yeah. Every week is, a, is Sunday, Bloody Sunday, right? All righty. Much like, it's, it's, it's crazy, it's crazy. You can find anybody to, to say anything that you want to believe. Sexual immorality, pretty big. It's not just big in the people that, that belong to the churches. We see pastors left and right who are being called out for sexual morality. We see churches that are embracing sexual, uh, sexual immorality and, and in teaching that it's okay. There's definitely some spiritually dead churches. Churches that claim to have life but are completely dead. There's no heart. There's churches that have crafted their own idols and are worshiping them. Even if they call that idol Jesus. If the God you're worshiping is anything, anything that is different than what the Word of God says, You've made for yourself an idol in your own image. And that's plaguing the church all across the planet. It's saying, I don't like this part. I'm going to leave that out. I'm going to make my own God. And you can call him Jesus, but he might as well be a golden calf. I think the biggest thing is that the church has become lukewarm. We come to service. We may worship, throw our hands up. We may even throw a tithe check in. We may even support awesome, awesome missionaries. But we've become, many, many churches have become lukewarm where they just do it to do it. They're not fired up. They don't have passion. They don't, they're not chasing after God the way that he's called. He's not given everything. They're just apathetic. They're lukewarm. Basically, we're dealing with a society, a church society, that's kicked Jesus out of his own party. Imagine with me. Jesus throws a big party. It's in his honor. Jesus' birthday. Throws a big party. Everybody comes over. you got the Baptists over there. They're, I don't know, bobbing for apples or something. Pentecostals are tying cherry stems with their tongues. I don't know. I don't know. What else could they do with their tongues? I could have said they were tongue kissing. I don't know. Hey, my last time in the pulpit. I'm going all in. <laughs> Party's going on. It's hopping. Music is hopping. All, everybody's there. Even the Eutucharists are there. But once the party gets going, Jesus, the guest of honor, the person who threw it, he gets pushed out. And suddenly he's on the porch of his own party. Doors closed, slammed in his face. The party that started off about Jesus has become about us. 
become about ourselves. It's become about, about, about our interests. Jesus has been kicked out of his own party. I don't say all of this to, to paint a bleak picture of the church today, even though I just did. Because there's a lot of good things that are going on in the church too. But I paint this picture so that you can know that as far as the church has gotten away from Jesus, as far away, as bad of things that are going on in the church today, Jesus still stands at the door and He's knocking to come back in. Man, the grace that is found in Jesus still knocking is unbelievable to me. If, there's, if you completely zone out and you don't get anything else I say today in this message, here's what I want you to hear. No matter how far you've run away, no matter how much you've pushed God out of your life, He is still there and He's still knocking at the door. There's nothing that you could have done to make Him leave and go home. He's still wanting to come in. The grace that's found in that is absolutely unbelievable. This phrase, uh, the, the Greek word for stand here is in the perfect tense. It mean, it's meaning, I have stood. And then the knocking word is in the present tense. It means, I am knocking. And so basically what the phrase is saying is, I've been here all along. And I'm still currently knocking. He's been here all along. From the moment that you pushed him out of your life, the moment that you closed the door, He's been there the entire time and he's seen everything you've done. He's seen every, how far you've wandered. He's seen everything that's gone on. And still, he's knocking. Thank Jesus. That's how much God loves you. Even when you reject him, he's still there waiting for you to come back. Now, he's not banging, he's not yelling, he's not making a scene out on the porch. He's not hollering. He's not going to kick the door down. He's simply knocking and speaking. Our God isn't the type of God that kicks doors down. Even when he breaks down walls, he does it through, doesn't do it through force. He does it with praise and obedience. Sure, he tears down walls. And sure, stone is melted. But he doesn't do it forcefully. And so if you're waiting for Jesus to come in like a SWAT team, it's not going to happen. He simply stands at your door and he knocks. And he's asking to come back in. That begs the question, what's the door? What is the thing that's keeping Jesus from coming in? Well, the door is the thing that keeps Jesus from becoming your all in all. The, the sin that you're holding on to, the finances that you don't want to give up control of, the anger that you're still harboring inside, the, the resentment that you have towards someone who's harmed you or, or a life situation that you've been thrown on, into, the unforgiveness that you're still holding. The door is whatever you are afraid to let go of. The sickness that you still have. That you're not ready to give up. That sounds crazy because every one of us thinks we want to give up sickness. But sometimes we're not just we're just not ready to let go of it and let God have that. Whatever it is, whether it's sin or circumstance, sickness, whatever you're holding on to, 
Whatever you haven't given to God becomes a door. But by the grace of God, he still stands and he knocks. Second part of the verse says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. When do I hear his voice? Well, I hear God's voice in grief and in pain. I remember um, there was a specific moment, I've probably shared this story a thousand times, so I apologize, um, where after Mona and I had lost the baby in Georgia, uh, when we were connected with a birth mother in Georgia, went all the way down to Savannah, and, um, and the day before, uh, she changed her mind, and we had to drive back from Savannah to Chicago, completely mourning the loss of that baby, um, uh, who we had already named and made a, uh, a nursery for. I was grieving, I was in so much pain, I was so angry with God, because I felt like he had called me there. And in that moment, I remember Mona and I were both sobbing in the car, driving home, and I, I turned to Mona and I said, I don't want to do it anymore, I don't want to follow God anymore, this, I followed him, this is where he led me, and I feel more grief and more pain and more hurt than I ever have, I want to walk away, and yet something inside me won't let me do it. I remember it so vividly. In my grief and my pain, God was there and he was speaking to me even if I didn't want to hear it. I hear God's voice in every victory of my life, every time something goes good. When we finally did uh, have a child and, and, and I saw Archer for the first time, the first words I whispered to my son were, were I'm going to show you who Jesus is. Because I, I couldn't think of anything else. The only thing that was on my mind was, you have one job, Seth. Show this little boy who Jesus is. His voice was there. His voice speaks to me in the face of, the, of unknown. Like I, I, I'm moving to Montana here. I'm leaving all my friends and family. If you weren't here last week, well, I am. God's calling us out to, to, to pastor a church in Montana. And if, I, if, if I've given the impression that, that I'm just, I, I'm cool as a cucumber, I just want to say that I can put on a good act then. Because <laughs> there, you're missing the moments when I'm shaking in my boots. Because I'm moving my family 1,500 miles away, 22 hours away, where no one, I know no one. The only people that we know, we've met for three days while we were there. It's scary. It's a scary situation. It's completely unknown. And yet, God's voice is speaking to me so loud and so clear. He speaks to me when I quiet my soul. One of the reasons I love hunting, it's not just because I love the taste of venison, um, is that when you're hunting, you're forced to be quiet. You can't speak. You can't say a word. I'm sure Pastor Dave and Ben would attest to this, that one of the best parts about hunting is you go out in the woods and you sit in a tree, and probably seven times out of ten, you're not even going to see a deer. But you can't talk. We don't sit with music in our ears. We don't watch videos. We're not scrolling through Facebook. We don't have phone service. We sit in a tree all day, forced to be quiet. And there's been moments when I've sat in the tree and, and God has spoken to me so clearly when I've just... I. I, I was trying to pray, but I couldn't even speak. All, I was forced to just listen. God speaks in those moments. And what's crazy is, in every one of those moments, he speaks different things, and yet the same thing. His voice is always saying, 
I'm here, I'm with you. In my grief and my pain, he's saying, I'm here, I'm with you. I see your pain. I see what you're going through. But I'm here and I'm with you. In my victories, he's saying, I'm here and I'm with you. I'm celebrating. I'm here and I'm with you. In the face of unknown, he's saying, I'm here and I'm with you. And I'm going before you. And I'm going to take care of you. His voice is saying, is saying different things and yet the same thing. And he's saying the same thing to you today. I'm still here and I'm still knocking. But in order to hear his voice, we have to listen to his voice. Proverbs 8, 34 through 35 says, Blessed are those who listen to me watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. There's a difference between hearing and listening. I hear a lot of things. I hear people <laughs> crinkling a wrapper. I hear people, all, all the, the peripheral noise that's going on. When I sit in my office, I hear Laura having conversations with people. I, have, I hear Pastor Josh playing music. I may hear the kids upstairs playing basketball at lunchtime. I may hear people out in my, in my, or outside my window in the alley um, doing unspeakable things. <laughs> I hear lots of things. But I only listen to a few things. Listening entails specifically, intentionally setting down and saying, I'm going to pay attention to this. If I'm listening to music, I've sat down and I'm ready to listen to music. If I'm listening to a person who's speaking to me, I'm engaged. I'm listening to every word that they're speaking because I'm here in the moment. And even there could be other noise that I'm hearing, but I'm only listening to this person. Blessed are those who through all of the noise choose to intentionally listen to the voice of Jesus. Verse says, those who are watching for the doors that Jesus might walk through. I love this because it says, watching for the doors. Not just one door that he's going to walk through. Many different moments that Jesus could walk through. He could speak at any moment. At any moment he could, he could speak. And we have to be watching for those moments. Both in our life. There's times in our life where, where God... God, God's the same, again, he's the same, yesterday, today, and forever. He's going to speak in similar moments throughout your life. Do you want to know what those moments are? Go read the scriptures. See when he's speaking to people. Before they do something wrong. After they do something wrong. The moments that, that God is going to speak, watch for those moments in your life. Watch for those moments in other people's lives. As Christians, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, of watching someone's life and saying, man, God's doing something right there. They don't know it, but God's doing something in that moment right there. They may have lost their job, and to them, like their world's over. But you're looking at it, and you're like, man, God's leading them through that. God's leading them to something that's so much bigger than that. They think that that's the end of the world, but I know that there's something bigger for them. Watch for those moments, because then you can be the person who speaks the voice into, into their moment. Watch for the doors. It says, wait. 
waiting at my doorway, it says. This, this is meant to bring, bring about the imagery of students waiting at their teacher's door before it's open. People who are so hungry and thirsty for knowledge that they're there before class starts. Nerds, right? No. They're there early because they're so desperate for what the teacher has to give them, for the wisdom and the knowledge and the life that the teacher has to give them. That's what we're called to be. To wait at the places that we know he's going to be and the places that we know that he's going to be. Jesus can only be found in one place. It's the word. Jesus was the full revelation of who the Father was and Jesus left behind us a revelation We have one revelation of who Jesus is, and it's in these scriptures. So find him. Look for him. Wait at the place that you know he's going to be. Dig into your scripture. You know he's going to speak through that. Don't look in self-help books. Stop listening to pastors on on podcasts. Those all can be great. Self-help books can be great. Pastors on podcasts can be great. But none of them are the inspired word of God. Stop looking for him in the places where you know he's not going to be. Look from the place where you know he's going to be. Wait at his doorstep. For if we listen, we wait and watch, then we will find life and favor of the Lord. And if we find life and favor, then we found Jesus. But we only do that by listening for his voice. Blessed are those who listen to me. Revelation 3.20, it doesn't, he doesn't just say to him who hears my voice, but it says, and opens the door. Hearing his voice is pointless if we don't open the door. We may feel temporarily um, comforted by knowing that Jesus cares and he's still there, It may have meant something to you when I said that today. You might have felt like, oh my gosh, he's still there. But can I tell you, it doesn't do anything if you don't open the door. Because if we don't let him in, then eventually we're going to find ourselves in the same predicament that we've been in. It's like hiring a cleaning lady, but not giving her keys or giving her a way to get into your house. It may be comforting the moment that you go, oh, I don't have to clean my house. I have a cleaning lady. But it's not going to take long for you to become frustrated with still having a dirty house if the cleaning lady never comes in. You're going to be in the same place, the same dirty house, and you're going to be in the same dirty life. If you don't let Jesus in, you can be comforted knowing that he's still there, knowing that he's knocking. But he's knocking for a reason. It's not just for you to know that he's there. It's because he wants to come in. And so we got to open the door. And the way we open the door is by giving up control. Let go. We've been holding on so tightly for so long to these things. And where has it gotten us? We got to let go of the burden. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So many of us in this room have felt weary and burdened. We felt that weight. Come on, if you've been in that moment, do you remember that moment before Jesus rescued you, before he came in and set you free, that feeling of weight and burden of an anxiety of knowing I'm just powerless, I can't do anything on my own. You remember that feeling. Maybe you're in that feeling right now. Right here in this place, you're still in that feeling of I just feel like a, a thousand pounds is on my shoulders and I can't do anything to get it off. I'm so burdened. I'm so weak. Jesus, when he set us free, he wanted to give us rest. Because that was the only thing that we desired when you felt that weight on your shoulder. Is I just want to breathe again, right? I just want to breathe again. And Jesus wanted to give you that rest, that chance to catch your breath. When we were hiking up that mountain in Colorado, um, uh, there were so many moments where, where either Chris or, or myself or Pastor Dave would have to stop and say, hold on, hold on, I need a second. And there would be moments where one of them was doing better than me or I was doing better than them, or breathing. But there was plenty of moments on the side of that mountain where one of us would grab the other ones and say, hold on, I can't go any further. I need to take a breath. And the, other, and the rest of us would graciously say, okay, yeah, I know you need to take a breath. Meanwhile, we're like, <gasps> <You know? laughs> Jesus wants to give us rest. He wants to give you rest. If you're feeling weary and burdened today, he wants to give you rest. But there's a stipulation in that verse. It says, take my yoke. He doesn't just want you to drop your weight. Pay attention to this. He doesn't just want you to drop your weight. He wants you to pick up his yoke. It's real easy to, to just drop the weight. But he calls you to take up his yoke. Taking Jesus' yoke, the one that's easy in light, the one that teaches us to be gentle and humble just like him, it requires us to put down the thing that we have in our hand. And I think that's why he wants us to take up his yoke. Because in order to take up his yoke, we have to drop whatever's in our hands. What are you currently holding on to? What is it that keeps all of us from letting go finally? The promises that are, are in Scripture, if we let go, are astounding. We will find rest. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let you be shaken. The promise that no matter what you go through, no matter how big the storm or waves or anything that, like that, you will never be shaken. What an incredible promise. So why don't we just let go? Does it matter not trusting God or having a lack of faith? Being worried about whether or not all of this is even true? You can question that. I give you permission. Is all of this true? Was the God that we're singing about and that I'm preaching about, the God that's calling the Halsteads to, to, to pack up their life and to, to 
move on the other side of the, of the world. Is, that, is he true? I give you permission to, to ask that question. But I also want to challenge you, what if it is all true? You can live your life questioning it. That's fine. One of us is right. So if there's a chance that you could just be weighed down by your, by your burdens your entire life, or, but what if there's a chance that you could just drop it, take up Jesus' yoke, and it will be easy and light? If there's even the slightest bit chance that that is truth, don't you think it's worth a shot? He gives us so many promises, one of which is found at the end of our Revelation passage, 320. It says, he will come in and he will eat with us. Why eating? Why does he want to eat with you? Well, eating is intimate. Think about how gross you look when you eat. You got sauce on your face, you know, like licking your fingers like slapping as you're chewing. Gross. And the fact that people want to continually do it with you is, is incredible. <laughs> it's intimate. But for real. So Jesus' most intimate moments came when he was eating with his disciples. Think about the Last Supper. He's eating with them. He's... he's, he's teaching them, he's bonding with them in that moment. I think about the, the, the portrait, the famous the Last Supper portrait where the disciples reclining back, uh, reclining on Jesus, the moment of intimacy. I think about uh, the, Peter being restored over a shoreside lunch. Jesus is cooking lunch on the, on the shore. He says, hey, come eat lunch with me. And then in that moment, over a fish sandwich, he he handles a man who has been, who has completely lost his way, completely lost his purpose, has no idea what he, what he should do. He restores him and he calls him to not just what he used to be, but something even greater. How incredible. All over fish sandwich. Eating is intimate. Jesus views eating together as Intimacy. And so do we. It's why our biggest family gatherings are centered around meals. In my house, every gathering is centered around meals. <laughs> Jesus, in, in verse 20 here, Jesus is making a commitment to have ongoing intimate fellowship with you. The God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Despite all of your flaws, despite everything you've done wrong, despite how long you've been running, despite all of that, wants to be intimate with you. He's not a God who sits far off and judges. He wants to be in the nitty-gritty of your life. He used to sing that song about uh, uh, how he loves, where they talk about heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. People always used to get offended by that. I don't know why. Because when I meet Jesus, it does feel like it gets everywhere. Real love, real intimacy. It gets everywhere. Ron, Ron comes up and hugs me. He messes up my hair. When he hugs you, he, he messes up your glasses. Why? Because it's a real intimate hug. It's real intimacy. He really cares. 
He's not putting it on. I've known Ron my entire life. There's never been one hug he's given you that wasn't genuine. Because he desires intimacy the same way Jesus does. That's who taught him it. Jesus was here, he'd give you a Ron hug. He'd mess your glasses up. He'd give you a slappy white kiss. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants to be close in it with you. And one of the coolest things about this verse is, is that it doesn't just end there, I want to come in and eat with you. It says, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That means that the intimacy is two-sided. It's not just that Jesus wants to be close to you and have all of the access to you. He wants to give you all of the access to him. Amen. Oh, come on, that's good. Yes. He doesn't just want to, to, to come in and, and, and to you to be the, the person that he's going to be intimate with. He wants to be double-sided, two-sided. He, true intimacy is re- reciprocated on both ends. And that's what Jesus wants with you. You can go to him at any moment. You don't got to come to church. You don't got to come to the altar. There's great things that can be said about coming to the altar. But you don't need to meet Jesus at the altar. You can meet him anywhere you want to meet him. That's the intimacy that he has. As long as you open the door, you can have true intimacy. In 2020, we are looking for Jesus. We're looking for life. So stop looking in the places that you know he's not going to be. You're not going to find him in your work. You're not going to find him in, in your home or even in your family. You're not going to find him by, by investing all of your time into relationships or by thrill-seeking or by find, looking in, uh, down the bottle or, 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 or seeking life out in drugs. You're not going to find life in any of those places. You can only find it in one place, by one way, by watching, waiting, and listening for his voice. You don't got to look far. You don't got to go over the river and through the woods. You don't got to climb a mountain. You don't gotta, certainly don't got to walk the Appalachian Trail. There's, uh, that's a big thing. People go walk the Appalachian Trail to find themselves. You don't got to do it. He's in the same place he's always been. He's knocking at your door. He's waiting you to finally open up and let him in. To let go of the yoke that you've been carrying for so long. He's calling you today, this morning, to drop that yoke and to pick up His. That's easy and light. Whether what you're holding is, is sin or circumstance or sickness, what is it that you haven't given to God today? Because whatever it is has become the door that's pushed him out of your life. It's become the thing that's locked him out. Thankfully, we have been given grace. Thankfully, we have a gracious God that out of his fullness, we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I want to open up the altars to you guys. But I just want you to know they're not required. You don't need to come to the altar to let go. You can do it right in your seat. You can do it at home. You just got to do it. 
You gotta make the decision to drop the weight that you've been carrying, to take the rest that he's offering, open the door and let him in. Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. We take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the Father. If you are blessed by what you heard today, help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, contact us on our website, berwinag.org, or on social media at berwinag. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.